Man, don't you just love Christmas? Man, I love it. Getting to see family. I mean, I'm excited. My mom and dad were in for this weekend and uh, getting together with my brother and his family this afternoon and so excited about that. Um, just a great time this weekend. I love that. I love the music. I love uh, the food, right? Love the spirit that's around, people talking all the time about Christmas and hearing Jesus' name everywhere and love the food, you know. TV specials, you know, special songs that are on the radio and the TV specials, which by the way, last week we talked about our favorite versions of White Christmas just a little bit. I found one this week that was very interesting. I didn't know it existed. Otis Redding has a White Christmas. Who knows Otis Redding? All right, the rest of you need an education, all right? Otis Redding, go look it up on Spotify or something. But I love that music stuff that's going on and love the food, right? I walked in my office just a minute ago, and there were two gifts for, well, me. It says my family, but they're, they're for me, all right? Um, uh, and Susan's downstairs, so she won't know about them. One of them had, you know, some chow chow in it and some Buckeyes. Do you know what Buckeyes are? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to after the service today, all right? Another one had a fresh loaf of bread. Just love that. But here, here's the thing. We can talk about all the good stuff that's around Christmas, but here's what we really love. When we get down and we're honest about it, we love the presents, right? And it can sound selfish to say that, but we love the presents. But here's the truth. Presents don't always go well, Right? Last week, I asked you to send me your worst gifts. And guess what? I got nothing. Right? Now, I don't know whether that's nobody's gotten a bad gift or you were, listen, you're doing a sermon on forgiveness. I can't bring those things back up. But fortunately, a late night talk show host did the same kind of thing. where so I got the idea about a week and a half ago. And I just want to show you some things that happen when gifts go bad. And so Jimmy Fallon uh, on late night TV put out a hashtag. And here are some of what people responded. Some of you may have seen this online. It's a little viral. But if not, if not we can, you know, this will be your first time. All right. So this is it. One year I got the book, He's Just Not That Into You, from five different people. <laughs> Message received. All right. Here's another one. I had $25 Starbucks gift card. The balance was $10. All right. Another one up here. I got a pack of Advil from my grandma because I said I had a headache the week earlier. So, hope some Advil out there. My dad once got me a shirt that was his size and said he would take it if I didn't want it. All right. You dads ever done something like that? All right. Here's another one. Someone bought me a DVD box set of Vanilla Isis tour in Turkey. All of God's people said, oh no, we don't want that. All right, another one. My brother got me a leaf that was from Wrigley Field Wall. Paid $350. Found out he got it from the front yard. <laughs> sounds like a Cubs fan to me is what it sounds like. All right, this may be my favorite. My mother wanted to give me the extra plot in the family grave one year. It's all right to laugh at that. She said they were expensive and I should be glad. Sorry if I ruined somebody's Christmas surprise this year. Here's, I think, uh, 
the last one. My mom gave me this doll from my childhood under glass. Our house is now haunted. And here's the picture. That's called creepy, right? But gifts don't always go bad. Some years you strike gold. Here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you to turn to the person next to you and think about this just for a second. Whatever comes to mind, your best Christmas gift ever, right? Best Christmas gift ever, whatever you had, all right? All right, anybody got one they want to share? Hey, listen, by the way, this is not one of those times if your spouse sitting next to you and go, anything you've gotten me in the last two years. This is not one of those moments, all right? Whatever you give me will be great. That's what I'm talking about, all right? Here, let me show you my greatest gift ever. How many, how many of you are right there? All right. I was, listen, I was, when I grew up, um, my brother had this thing called the Atari 2600, which is a great game system, all right? All right. But my world changed when this came into the family. One Christmas, we got the Sears Wish Book. How many of you remember the Sears Wish Book? All right. All right. We got the Sears Wish Book, and we're flipping through, and this thing is sitting there, and nobody had a clue what it was. And my dad, who's sitting on the back row back there, um, it's okay. I told him he could be a back row Baptist today. He's on the back row. My dad and mom, just in a spur of the moment, decided to order this thing before it became cool. I was the first kid of my friends to have this. I know, you're jealous, I know. It's been 30 years, it's all right, all right. And I put in Super Mario Brothers, and it was a different life from then on. Now, you know, there are probably obviously other more important things that have happened in my life, but I remember that moment. And a great gift is one of those things you remember and cherish and think about, right? Here's what we want to do today. I want to talk to you about the greatest gift that you can give yourself this Christmas, all right? For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this concept of a white Christmas, this idea of getting a brand new start, getting starting over, the, 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 idea that, you know, the idea of looking outside and seeing that fresh snow on the ground and all that is there, and, and the idea that for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about giving forgiveness to other people about the people in our lives, whether they deserve it or not. It's not up to whether they deserve it or not that we, in a one-person exchange between us and the Lord, are giving forgiveness to people. Last week we talked about the fact that that's hard to do. In fact, the the theme verse that we've kind of had comes from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and it says that the Lord looks at His people and He says, Come, let's settle this. Let's take care of it. Let's don't go another Christmas. Let's don't go another season. Let's not go another day with this baggage in your life. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. If you'll only obey me. We talked about that. That word obey means that God is asking us to do something that we're not going to feel like doing. Because you don't have to obey what you already want to do. And how that the... Our lives ought to be centered around looking at people the way Jesus did when he had been betrayed and beaten and rejected and falsely accused and killed. And as he's on the cross in the midst of dying, he looks at the people that are there and says, Father, forgive them. We talked about praying for people and speaking well of them even when they've done wrong to you and doing good to them even when it's difficult. But what that verse is about, which is interesting to me, 
is perhaps the biggest issue in forgiveness. And that's forgiving ourselves. One pastor put out a survey and said, what's your biggest issue with forgiveness? And he said over 50% of the responses came back as, I have a hard time forgiving myself. And I just wonder if God can forgive me. I messed up. I did some stuff that I'm not proud of. I had some places that I didn't need to go that I went. And some people that I shouldn't have had relationships that I did. And some things I said that I shouldn't have said. The biggest issue is people that can't forgive themselves. And the truth is, we all have a past. Amen? How many of you have a past? Let me see. All right, that's us. That's all of us. And I know my past better than you know my past, and I don't like my past. And the truth is, if we all knew each other's past, we'd all look at each other and go, man, I don't like your past either. Right? I mean, they're called a past for a reason. Last week we talked about this, um, uh, we talked about Ebenezer Scrooge a little bit, you know? And the story of A Christmas Carol, and most of you know that story, even if you've never read it, you've seen it, you know, my personal vantage point or my personal kind of moment with that was growing up with Mickey's Christmas Carol, all right? So Ebenezer McScrooge, all right? In fact, I thought for a long time, you know that line in the old hymn, here I raise mine. Ebenezer, I thought that was about the Disney character, but that's all right. And you know the, you know the basic story, right? He's is this old boss, Scrooge is an old boss, and he's, he's not very nice to Bob Cratchit, and he's not very nice to his family. Makes him work on Christmas Eve, makes him work harder on Christmas Eve, says you've got to get the work done, no any of that. And he goes to bed that night on Christmas Eve, and what happens? He gets visited by what? Three ghosts, all right? And they are the, the ghost of what? The ghost of Christmas, the ghost of Christmas and the coast of Christmas future. Now, I'll be honest, as a kid, the one that scared me to death was the future one, right? Because in the Disney version, it's Big Pete, and he's walking around the cemetery, and it's just scary, all right? But what I've come to learn as I've grown up is that most people struggle with the ghost of Christmas past or their past life more than any other. Stuff just keeps coming back, and they never deal with it. In fact, they try to deal with it, and there are really four ways that people try to deal with it. The first one is they try to bury it. Just get it out of the way. Just press it down. Time heals all wounds. You know, there's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. It don't work, right? You know what happens when you stuff stuff down and you bury it? It stays buried and it infests your life. It just doesn't work. You ever had something that you did that was not right and you just buried it and thinking it'll go away, it'll go away, it'll go away and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back? You can't do it. You can't bury it. In fact, Scripture teaches us that in Proverbs 28 it says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The idea there is when you let it go, you are free from it. But most of us bury it, put it down. Don't deal with it. Another way people deal with their past or their sin or what's in their life is they beat themselves up. Man, I was such a fool. I was such a jerk. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again. I'll never change. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to handle it. I could never undo what has already been done. Why did I? I should have or I shouldn't have. 
And we just consistently beat ourselves up. Now, here's the truth. Those first two usually go together. We bury it, and as we bury it, we just keep beating ourselves up with it. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be able to get over this. Last or third thing is we can blame other people for it. You realize that um, we're pretty good at blaming others, right? Where does it go back to? How far back does that go? Kind of the beginning, right? You remember the beginning, right? Adam and Eve sin. God comes and says, Adam, what happened? What does Adam say? Hey, Lord, you know that woman you gave me? If it wasn't for her, I'd be all right. And he goes to the woman. He says, hey, what happened to Eve? And what does Eve say? The serpent deceived me and I ate. It's his fault. It's him. It's all him. If you, Lord, if you hadn't put us in this garden that was perfect in every way and told us, you know, this one tree, we could, and I put the serpent here, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done it. It's, it's his fault. Now, I want you to see that the first three don't do anything for you. Bearing it, blaming other people, or beating yourself has done nothing for you. In fact, in Psalm 38, David, David knew a little bit about that, right? About sin. This is a psalm written after David committed adultery, had the guy killed, and lied about it for a year. Okay? It's not minor stuff. David says this about his sin. He says, I'm drowning in the flood of my sins. They are a burden too heavy to bear because I have been foolish I am utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. Now, my guess is, if you're not there now, at some point in your life, you have been there. Drowning. Burdened. Worn out. Crushed. Now, if the first three don't do anything for you, then what is the answer? And here's the answer. You can choose to believe God. Now, I want to be real honest. I know that sounds very churchy. Well, if it was that easy, Pastor, we'd move past this, all right? I mean, you think about so far, just it sounds like just the church kind of thing to say and the church kind of thing to do. Hey, just believe God. Just trust Him and everything will be all right. Well, it is true. And we're going to unpack that for a minute. But I want you to see that most of us use this as a last resort, not as the first step. And after we've beaten ourselves up and buried it and blamed other people, we might come to a realization, but this is the only thing that brings real freedom. God sees life completely differently than we see it. His view of our life is different than our own view of it. And until we come to a place where we see our life as God sees our life, we're going to struggle with this issue of forgiving ourselves. And you say, but you don't know my past. I don't. But he does. Turn, if you've got your Bibles, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here's what I love about the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, anybody know who wrote 1 Timothy? Paul, right? Paul is a guy that wrote over half the books in the New Testament. Now, who was Paul before he was Paul? Saul, all right? Was Saul a good guy or a bad guy? He was a bad guy, right? I mean, like, really bad, all right? Here's what I love. And we're going to talk about Saul in a minute and then read this, this passage. Here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible uses people with a past to help people with a past. Let's talk about Paul's past. He, he was a bad guy. What did he do that was so bad? 
He persecuted Christians. Okay, so persecuted. You mean he talked bad about, he made fun of, he hit them a few times, he banned them from their own popular television network show. I mean, what, what do you mean by persecuted here? Like, killed them, right? So here's, here's who Paul is. Paul is a serial executioner of God's people. Right? Multiple executions that he oversaw of God's people. Now, the Bible only tells us really about one in particular, but it's a pretty big one. It's Stephen, the first martyr of the church that we're told about. Would you say that's kind of bad? I mean, anybody here serially killed other Christians? Okay, we've got the cops on speed dial if that's there. And Paul comes to this moment in 1 Timothy and he says this. This is starting in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. One who was formerly a blasphemer, formerly a persecutor, formerly an arrogant man. Since it was out of ignorance that I had acted in unbelief, I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15 says this. This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Paul says it's trustworthy. It means you can trust it. You can put your life on it. You can depend on it. But he says the key is full acceptance. Complete acceptance every bit of it as a fiber of your life and he says it's this christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and i am the worst of those this is a full sentence a a sentence that is trustworthy deserving of full acceptance you put everything you believe into this that christ came to save sinners and i'm the worst now paul has a pretty good case for being a bad sinner the persecution of the people of god is pretty bad and basically what paul is saying is if christ can save me completely he can save anybody And what he's saying there is, if you want your life to move forward with Christ, what you have to do is you have to fully accept that truth and believe it. Well, what does that mean? Well, here are a couple of things it means. First of all, is we stop trying to fix things ourselves. People act like God is still sitting up there with a naughty and nice list. Right? Oh, you better watch out. Better not pout. Better not cry. I'm telling you why. God is going to send you to hell, right? That's what people think. Making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to figure out who's naughty and nice. That's how people live their life. Well, I've got to keep doing stuff. I keep got to work it. Here's what I want to tell you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are someone who has put your faith and trust in Him, guess what? It is over. Your sin is done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. There is no naughty and nice list. There is no keeping record of wrongs. There is no, I can't believe he did that again. Guess I'm going to have to knock him down a few pegs. It is paid. It is done. When Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. Guess what? 
It is finished. And that means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have accepted His salvation into your life. I don't care what you've done. Your past is done. You're free. You know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The idea there is you don't have to compare yourself to other people. You don't have to compare yourself to other things. You don't have to say, I'm better than he is, or I'm better than her. I'm not as good as her. I'm not as good as him. You are done with your sin. I laughed this week because Luke, uh, in his class, wrote his letter to Santa. And Luke's opening line was, Dear Santa, I've been very good this year. In fact, I've been brother, better than my brother Eli. Right? And I guess he thought if I could position myself in a better place than Eli, it would help with the present hall. All right? Because he's asking for some big things and he thinks I got a position. And some of us are like that in our faith. We, we look around and we say, Lord, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm not as good as they are, but I am better than him. And I'm trying my best. I'm doing all that I can. You don't have to do all that you can. It's done. The problem for some of you is not that you haven't been forgiven. It's that you don't believe you've been forgiven. So you don't need forgiveness. You need faith. To trust what Jesus is, who He says He is, and He has done what He has said He has done. In fact... I think you can go to the root of unforgiveness in almost any situation, whether it's from our place to someone else or it's from our place with the Lord. The root of unforgiveness is unbelief. We don't trust that God is who He says He is or that He'll do what He says He will do. We serve a God that freely forgives, freely loves. In fact, in the book of Micah, it says that He takes greatest joy in showing mercy. It means the best part of God's day is when He can forgive us. It's not work. It's not earning. You don't have to fix it. And for some of you, this is going to be hard because you think you've got to fix everything. But you can't fix your sin problem. And the good thing is you don't have to because God already has. So stop. Stop working to read enough Bible verses or go to enough meetings or go to enough discussions to make yourself right with God. To go to church enough, to do enough, to be enough. In His Son coming to earth and dying on the cross, He showed us we're enough for His love and His mercy. Here's the thing though. You could walk out of here today and you could be free from whatever your past is and you could say, you know what, <laughs> Pastor, I'm, I believe it. I'm ready for it. I'm moving out there. And guess what's going to happen tomorrow? The enemy's going to remind you. They're going to be reminded again and again. So just to believe, it's not just a one-time decision. It's a regular occurrence in your life. And here's the thing. The only way you combat that is to defeat every lie of the enemy with the truth of God's Word. You've got to be studying. Now, you don't have to study God's Word to be approved by God. You do have to study God's Word to be able to defend against the enemy. There's a difference there. God's not upstairs looking and saying, Well, John read 14 chapters of the Bible today, and Lyle only read two. Guess John's a little better than Lyle today. He'd have a checklist up there. 
He wants you to know it because he knows that's what's going to help you get through and defend your life against the lies of Satan. I mean, Scripture says about Satan that if he's speaking, he is lying because lying is his native tongue. You have to be defending, ready for that. Now, now some of you say, well, well, here's the thing. Forgiveness on my own sin, trusting in the forgiveness of God in my past would be so much easier if I could just be like God and forget it. Can I tell you something? The Bible never says God forgets it. The, the phrasing is very specific in that phrase that says, He remembers my sin no more. The word there actually means He chooses not to bring it up again. Now, here's the thing. If God forgets something, that means He doesn't know everything. And Scripture teaches He knows everything. So the more miraculous thing is not forgetting our sin as God would, as some of us think He does. The most miraculous thing is He knows about it. He just doesn't bring it up anymore because it's been paid for. It's done. Can I talk to the women for just a minute? You, most of you women have amazing memories. Let's just, guys, let's just for a moment, see if you, this relates. You're in a discussion, we'll call it a discussion, with your spouse or significant other, and they say to you, well, you said, I didn't say that, I don't remember saying that. Well, on October the 8th, 1999, when you were wearing that hideous brown sweater I always disliked, we were standing outside in the rain, you said, anybody, guys, you ever been there? Okay, I got some, I got, I got in first service, I had people raising, woo, been there. The guys had never done anything in service, sir. And that memory, ladies, is an amazing gift. But it can also be an amazing curse. Because some of you remember your past so much that you beat yourself up all the time. And it's going to come back again and again and again. The scripture says that we have to be prepared to defeat every lie with the truth of God's word. And when your sins from the past keep getting brought up again and again and thrown in your face, guess who is not doing that? God is not doing that. Because he remembers them no more. Your enemy is doing that. And unless you're equipped to say that is from the enemy and I am not going that way. You're going to deal with it again and again and again. Unless you're able to say, like 1 Corinthians 1 teaches us, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He has freed us from sin. Unless you're ready to pronounce that at every moment, you're going to have it brought up again and again and again. And here's the last thing. You stop trying to fix it. You soak yourself in the truth of God and allow that to defeat it. And then you allow God to take your past and to turn it around for good. This is Paul in 1 Timothy, right? Persecutor of the church, blasphemer. And he says that the Lord has rescued him. And what I love is that first verse we read, and called him and appointed him to ministry. Here's the thing. God didn't use Paul in spite of his past. He used Paul because of his past in a mighty way. Some of you have a past that you say, I don't know how God can redeem it. Let me tell you, he can He can redeem a serial executioner of God's people to be the most influential church planner and Bible writer in history. He can redeem your past. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. For we know that God works in all things together 
for the good of those people who love him are called according to your purpose. That verse does not say that God sends everything your way and that he wants everything in your life, even the bad stuff he sends. What it says is he can take whatever bad stuff's in your life and he can mold it for his glory. Joseph, sold into slavery, brothers, put in prison, knocked up, down, up, down, up, down, gets to the point where he's second in command in Egypt, rescues nations. His brothers come back. They think he's about to kill him. And he says, listen, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And let me tell you, God can use whatever your past is for good if you'll turn it over to him and let him redeem it. Here's the thing. Some of you are here today and you've got a past that has weighed you down for years. And it's time to let it go. You need to stop trying to fix it yourself. You need to depend on the truth of God's word to set you free. And you need to let God start using it to do miraculous things in and through you. To redeem your past. That's what Paul says when he says this is a trustworthy saying. To get full acceptance. Christ died for sinners. And I'm the worst. Let's pray together.